Well, good morning. Hope you got your Bibles with me. Turn with me to Psalms 42. We're going to be looking at Psalms 42 and 43. This is the second week here. We sort of camped here for a couple weeks thinking about spiritual depression and what is it and what's the cure? What's the cause? What do we do? How do we fight? How do we live? So let's see what God's Word had to say to us this morning. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the first five verses of Psalms 42. And then we're going to go down to Psalms 43. And we're going to read those five verses as well. So stand with me to your feet as we read God's Word together. Psalms chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now look down at Psalms 43. Verse 1, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceit and the unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a lyre. O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that tells us how we should pray, how we should live in the midst of despair and turmoil and enemies around us. Lord, help us to not speak of things that we don't know how to use this morning, Lord. Let us be honest with you about where we are so that we may realize the hope that comes only from you. Help us, Lord, to understand your word and apply it into our life. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we looked at the causes of spiritual depression. Some general causes and then ended up with the ultimate cause. And 
Let's revisit that for just a few minutes. We tried to make a distinction because we all have a tendency to lump depression into this big bowl and then make general statements. And so we're not speaking of clinical depression. Let me define that. It's on the screen. Clinical depression is an ongoing, progressively increasing state of major depression with multiple symptoms requiring medical treatment. So let's contrast then what we are speaking about last week and this week, spiritual depression. We define it this way. Spiritual depression is a result of unbelief evidenced by either dejection, discontentment, bondage, and or a lack of joy. I would say most of the time it's and. (laughs) And so I want to say, speak much about chemical depression last week. Let me just say this. If, if you are being treated for chemical depression, you will still have to struggle with spiritual depression. Clinical depression is dealing with chemicals. We are speaking of unbelief. That is something that we all struggled with. Isn't that what we said? This is something, by and large, we all struggle with. The ultimate cause is unbelief. Or to say it another way, we do not trust the Lord as we should. And to that, I pray that we could all be honest and start at the same place. And we say that last week. We all forget the Lord. We all focus on our circumstances. We all listen to others. We, and most of all, we all listen to ourselves. So we all struggle here. There is no exception. Then if belief is the ultimate cause, what's the cure? And even that word cure can be misleading. We say, if you look at your main idea on the top of your notes, it says, we start here, the cure for spiritual depression lies in trusting the Lord. That should come as no surprise. We cracked the door just barely last week when we began to talk about hope. We landed in verse 5. That will be our focal text. But like I said, this can be misleading. It's misleading because many of us were simply taught wrong to start with. Accept Jesus. The Lord saves us. Problems go away. The clouds lift. The sun comes up. No more struggling. No more. And then what happens? Reality sets in. That's just not true. Matter of fact, it can increase your problems in life to follow Christ. I think he said that. So I'm not speaking of a vaccine this morning. There's no, there's no super pill. We're not going to line up after the service and give you a spiritual depression immunization that can sort of keep it away. This is about teaching us how to fight for hope. Look at verse 5, chapter 42. This is where he is. He's, he's here. He's here at the beginning in chapter 42. He's still there at the end of chapter 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Listen, hope in God. That's what we want to talk about today. Hope in God. I shall again praise Him. So we said last week, hope here is an expectant waiting. It is active. Hope is not a passive thing. So what can we learn today about this? I want us to first just think about and talk about what hope in God is. 
then I just want us to speak practically, secondly, about how do we hope? What are the tools? What are the weapons, so, so to speak, that we use to fight for hope in times of despair? So let's first look at this. We must hope in God. Remember, this is something that we are preaching to ourselves. Who is God? This is what we must hope in. But if we do not know Him, we cannot hope in Him. This is where He's at. He's holding. He's fighting. You see this prayer of a man that's in the the midst of spiritual depression, but it's fighting it. And so what we want to look at today is, how is he fighting for hope in God? Turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah. Such a clear passage that David speaks many times in the Psalms as well. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. We must not turn hope into something when our hope is a someone. Isaiah 40, look at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. Or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might. He increases strength. This is the God. That David is fighting for hope. In the midst of his despair. Listen. This is my God. Back to Psalms 42 verse 5. This is personal. My Elohim. My God. My God is the eternal creator. My God is the omniscient sovereign. My God has all wisdom and all knowledge and has the power and the ability to use that knowledge for, the, for His own glory and the good of His own people. That's who God is. That's what we're fighting for in the midst of despair. My God gives strength to His own people. Go back with Psalms 42. Look at verse 8. I'm going to bring this verse up several times. Verse 8 says, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Look at what He says next. Why have you forsaken me? So do you see the honesty in prayer? But it's couched in my God. It's couched. The honesty of our prayers is couched in the who of who our God is. This is how we fight in the midst of our despair. My God is not only my God. He's also, look at verse 5, my salvation. Look at Psalms 27. I love Psalms 27. Oftentimes, if I, we went around the room, and I said, which is your favorite psalm? Some of us are going to have favorite psalms because in the midst of a crisis or a trauma, this is the psalm that either we read or someone spoke to us. This was one of mine in the past. Psalms 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is who God is. He is our God. He is our salvation. If you look at Psalms 43, in verse 3, you see him saying, I love this. David is praying, 
God, my God, my salvation, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. All you have to do, God, is speak your truth, your word. I'm saved. This brings us to something as New Testament Christians, doesn't it? It brings us to what God has done. So when we're in the midst of despair, we remind ourselves who God is. And we remind Him what He has done. Not just what He's done, what He's finished in Christ. Turn with me to Titus. If you have trouble finding Titus, find Hebrews. And just flip back a couple pages. Right there it is. Hebrews, back one. Philemon, back one, Titus. Titus chapter 3. Look with me at verse 5. These verses are gold when spiritual depression hits you. He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope. The hope of eternal life. So when we in the midst of despair begin to listen to ourselves. Here's how we fight. We fight with who God is. We fight with what Christ has done for us. We fight with His mercy. I hope you know this, but you must remind yourself that your justification, your God removing your sin and forgiving you, and God declaring you righteous in His Son, is God's final declaration and judgment on you for all of eternity. You have already been judged and you have been judged righteous. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. In this we remind ourselves in the darkest days of our life. My God has declared the final judgment over me and it's in Christ and it is righteous. I am in Him. We remind ourselves what God has done Remind ourselves of who He is. Remind ourselves of what He's promised to us in Christ. Oh, there's so much we could talk about right there, isn't it? But look at chapter 42. Back to chapter 42 and verse 5. David's hope is this, isn't it? Look at it. I shall again praise Him. That's His hope. I want to be with him. You remember? This is why he's in despair to start with. When's the last time you got spiritually depressed because you couldn't gather with God's people? That's David's problem. Maybe we need to hit the pause button and get honest with ourselves right there. And he says, I shall again praise him. That's his, that's his hope. Back to my favorite Psalm, Psalms 27. I, I love this. I love this verse. Specifically, if you've ever been away from God's people for a while and you longed for it and you missed it more than anything, this verse means something. One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That is both a now and especially a not yet promise. This is hope. What have we been given? Well, turn with me to 1 John. This is a promise, brothers and sisters. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 2. Beloved. That's you if you have faith in Christ. Loved. Those loved by God. We are God's children now. There's something you need to remind yourself of. I'm not going to be God's child. I am His child. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall what? See Him as He is. And everyone who thus what? Hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. This is how we fight, brothers and sisters. We could close it up. Let's sing and this would be good. But oh, how I want to make sure you know how to hope. Have you ever got something like this for Christmas? Someone gives you something that's in one of those really hard to open plastic wrappers, you know. And on the outside of it, this is the most useful tool in your home. And you're saying, wow, you know, and you pick it up and you look at it. There's a big problem. You don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. You don't know how to use it. And so, can I ask you something? If you don't know what it is, or you don't know how to use it, is it going to be useful in your home? No, it's going to go in that drawer where everything else is. People we speak to, and even ourselves, could be hearing this when we tell them the hope in God. It's like that thing in your plastic you don't know how to use. Do you know how to hope in God? What does it look like in your life tomorrow when the carpet gets pulled out from underneath you? This is a spiritual war, brothers and sisters. We do not offer you anything but the armor of God this morning. This is our hope. There are weapons, and the Lord has given us, and I have already explained one of them to you, but let's make sure we're clear. You must have on a weapon this morning. You must have on gospel clarity. I owe so much to the reading of this book. I encourage this to, to you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression. He, he hammers home these three points. Gospel clarity is what we got through talking about. Who is God? What has He done? What has He promised to those who believe? Back to verse 8. Psalms 42. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love. You see, they're all of redemptive history. For God's people, this was the go-to weapon. This was, this was it. 127 times in the Psalms, steadfast love is used. This was God's covenant love for His people. His special love that He loves His people with. They went back to that. In the best times in their life, they forgot it. In the worst times of their life, they remembered it. Because God never forgets. Romans 3 reminds us of our gospel clarity. It's your growth group lesson. 
Romans 3, verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, according, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's clarity that you must have, beloved. You must have that. There must be two things that have been nailed down in your life. That sinners, us, we're sinners who cannot save ourselves. If we don't iron this down, if this is not internal to start with, it will never be external. We are sinners who cannot save ourselves. This leads us to confession of our sin to God. This reality leads us to salvation in Christ because He is the only one who is saved. I am not a sinner because I am better or worse than you. That's part of our problems. We compare ourselves to ourselves. We compare ourselves to God. And we are a sinner. And we cannot save ourselves. Number two, gospel clarity. Christ is the only way to salvation. I'm a sinner who, and I can't just save myself, and Christ is the only way. And there's only confession and repentance and putting my trust in Christ, the only salvation. Martin Lloyd Jones offers something helpful here. As long as you go on thinking about yourself and saying, Oh, yes, I would like to, but. I'm not good enough. I am a sinner, a great sinner. You are denying God, and you will never be happy. You continue to be cast down and disquieted in your soul. You will think you are better at times, and then again, you will find out that you're not as good as you thought you were. You read the lives of saints, and you realize that you're actually nowhere. So you keep asking, what can I do? I feel that I'm not good enough. Forget yourself. Forget all about yourself. Of course you are not good enough. You will never be good enough. The Christian way of salvation tells you this. That it does not matter what you have been. It does not matter what you have done. How can I put this plainly? I try to say it from the pulpit every Sunday. Because I think it is the thing that is robbing most people of the joy of the Lord. It does not matter if you have almost entered into the depths of hell. If you are guilty of murder. As well as any other vile sin. It does not matter from the standpoint of being justified with God. You are no more hopeless than the most respectable righteous person in the world. The question is, do you believe that? This is the gospel clarity. This comes to you, beloved, when you're not expecting it. Uh, family had a rough week, and some of you have heard about it. Dad was in the hospital, had a blood infection. They were trying to get to the bottom of it, and I was behind it here. And so I was on my way here, and the phone rings. You're one, you're one phone call away from, from your life being flipped upside down. 
somebody at the shop say, says, you better get here. Your mama's laying on the floor and she's not breathing. And don't look good. So I flipped, I turned around. By the time I got there, the EMS were there. Mama was laying on the floor. You know, when you're in those situations, you think that's when the depression hits. That's not when it hits. You're in survival mode right then. <laughs> you're just doing what you got to do. You're, you're just, you know, you're just hanging on. You know when this, this I'm not good enough and kind of thing hit me? It hit me Friday because I had to take an exam in the midst of all this mess. The exam was due. What you going to do, you know? I had to go home and take an exam. I'm studying for that exam. And I finally closed the book and said, Lord, I got I to gotta take this. I got other things to do, you know? I get three questions into the exam on a timed exam. And there's when the talking to yourself starts. And the crust of it was just what he's saying. You're not good enough. What in the world are you doing? Here's my point. If you don't have gospel clarity before you get to that moment, it's too late when you get in that moment and you will listen to yourself and you will find yourself in despair. You must go to the thing who does not move in that time and that is God and what He has done. You have to say, who has He called me to be? That's what I have to do. I just be blunt with myself. Who has He called you to be? Then shut up and do what He's called you to do. And I finished the exam with great clarity. John Newton, point of his death, says this, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. Here's my question for you. Last week when we unveiled Pray and Go, and what started going on inside your mind? Was you worried, what would happen if I happened to run into somebody at the mailbox while I was praying for people? What if I go, I'm praying for the souls of somebody, and they, that soul happens to be cutting his grass? You're just going to walk by him and say, I prayed for him? Or has God not in his sovereignty ordained that you speak the gospel to him? If we have not internalized gospel clarity in our life, we won't be prepared for the for the trials in our life, and we won't be prepared to speak that. You see, our fear in that moment is telling us something that we are not, do not have gospel clarity inside of us, and we must have it. We must have it. What else? Look at the second thing. There's a second weapon. A weapon of prayer. There's none of us that can say that that weapon in our life is too sharp. <laughs> that sword is too sharp, can we? Matter of fact, Psalms 42, Psalms 43, and to some degree, almost all of the Psalms are prayers. One says it. Psalms is basically just a prayer journal that someone turned into a songbook for God's people. Psalms 42 and Psalms 43, the primary context is prayer. It is lament. It is honestly pouring your heart out to God. Turn with me to Philippians. Philippians. There's another man in the Bible that understood something of not only suffering, but knew something of prayer. And anytime someone tells you to turn to Philippians, 
There's one thing that ought to pop in your head right from the start. Prison epistle. This is the letter Paul wrote from prison to the church. So that's important. Just imagine you, you open your mailbox up Monday and you, you get a letter from someone that's in prison in North Korea, a Christian who's suffering, and he's encouraging you. Would you listen to that letter? Would you read that carefully? This is the inspired word of God from a man who was in prison when he wrote it. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What is he not saying here? Just stop worrying. Stop it. You need to pull yourself together, son. Just stop it. It's like going to an alcoholic and saying, stop drinking. What's he going to say? You know, wow, I've never thought about that before. Thank you for that. Free, free, free at last. It's not what he's saying here. <laughs> he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, what? Pray. You cannot put off anxiety unless you put on prayer. It's before everything. It's in everything. It's over everything. The cure for worry is prayer. Why? Because God works through our prayers. We don't pray to make ourselves feel better. We pray to communicate to God our heart. To tell Him who He is and put our worries at His feet. That's what we do. Why does He say here in the midst of our worrying, we're supposed to pray and bring our petitions to Him? Why does He say we, should, we must also give thanksgiving? This is important. See, when you come to God in prayer, we can come to Him with a sense of entitlement. Almost anger. Hard to express thanksgiving to somebody you're mad at. You ever notice that? <laughs> if you're mad at somebody, really hard to say thank you. It's really hard to tell them how much you appreciate them. Same in your prayer life. There must be no doubt inside yourself the goodness of God when we come to pray. So we lavish Him with thanksgiving. We speak of who He is. We speak of His promise. And we honest with Him and lay our worries at His feet. This is why Ephesians 5 closes the book out with put on the armor of God and pray. Ephesians 5, 10-18. We must have gospel clarity. We must... Put on the weapon of prayer and we must put on the weapon of contentment. Contentment. This is the charge of what Martin Lloyd-Jones would say in his book is the ultimate cure for spiritual depression. It's contentment. So Philippians 4, we're still there. Look at verse 11. Keep in mind, where's Paul? He's in prison. The church has 
sent something to help him. You know, people in prison in that day, they didn't have a meal plan and a TV to watch. Or, you, know, you didn't eat if nobody brought you anything. You didn't survive unless it was brought into you from people who care about you. And apparently they have done that in Philippians 4 verse 11. He wants to make sure though, he appreciates it and he does, he says that. But in verse 11 he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Notice what he had to do, verse 11. I have what? He had to learn it. I had to learn how to be content, which means what? We are not naturally content people. Remember one of the warning signs of spiritual depression is discontentment. How do we learn to be content? This is where we're so thankful for God and His sovereignty. Because, you know, He tells us, I bring suffering into your life so that you can learn to have patience, so that you learn to have hope, so that you can learn to trust me. We learn to have contentment by preaching the gospel ourselves, the knowing that, that Christ is supreme, that He is sufficient. The supremacy of Jesus Christ leads us to contentment. We learn contentment when we begin to realize what is eternal and what is not. And I wonder sometimes, we have a tendency to feel words with our own meanings. What does content mean here biblically? It literally can mean self-sufficient. That means independent of circumstances or surroundings. So what is he saying when he says this? Not that I'm speaking of a need, for I have learned in whatever situation... I am not to be mastered or controlled by circumstances. That's what he means. I have learned. I am not going to let my situation rob me of my joy and my happiness. My my situation today is not the determining factor of my life and my experience. Jesus Christ is. This we remind ourselves. Another good quote here. Speaking of this issue, of this text, the big principle that emerges clearly is that he, speaking of Paul, has learned to find his pleasure and his satisfaction in Christ and always in Christ. This is the positive aspect of this matter. We must learn to depend on him in order that we must Learn to know Him. We must learn to have communion with Him. We must learn to find our pleasure in Him. So what today? The question should be obvious, isn't it? Is this what we're doing? Is this what we're growing in? Is this what we're learning to do? Are we growing and trusting the Lord? Is this what you're proclaiming to yourself? I want to end where we began, where we ended rather last week in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. This is 
a situation. Remember, we ended with this last week. This man brings his son. About verse 19. This story actually begins what? Verse 17 or so. I brought my son. He had a spirit. Your disciples can't cast him out. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Remember what he said, Jesus, to him. Can I help you? This leads to his most honest confession that we said at the end, and I pray now, too, is true, that the man in in his desperate honesty said, I believe, but I do not believe as I should believe. That's what he said. I believe, but help my unbelief. We know how the story ends. Jesus heals this boy and thought he was dead. He raised him up. Look at the charge in verse 29. See, disciples couldn't understand. What's wrong, Lord? Why couldn't we cast him out? This kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. Don't underestimate that. Don't you tell me today that this city can't be changed by us praying for it. It's the, it's the means, it's the mode. And it must be true in our life, inside of us, so that we are ready to proclaim it to the nations. He is telling us today, trust me and pray. Trust me and proclaim the gospel. Trust me and don't be enslaved by your situation. Hope in God, our God, your God, my God, your Savior, my Savior, our promise keeper. We trust in Him. I don't know about you today. I didn't know whether I was going to be preaching a sermon or a funeral today. And I just need to pray. And I must worship. So let's do both. Our God... My God, our Savior, we cannot say this because we deserve it. None of us deserve your mercy, and yet we have been lavished all of our life with it. Oh Lord, today, I don't know what's going on inside of all the hearts and the souls that are seated here or that listening online or that will listen. But oh God, that the power of your Holy Spirit would comfort your people now. Comfort us with power. With gospel clarity. Oh, help us, Lord. To put in the truth of your word. 
You promised if we did, Lord, you would bring it to us when we needed it. And Lord, we trust you. We're not going to keep our mouth closed tomorrow. Help us to preach this to ourselves, Lord. And God, may your church be a place for it's okay not to be okay. May this be a safe place for people. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you like this anytime. Thank you that we don't have to rely on some kind of liturgical rehearsed prayer that we can just come and be honest to you with you. And so we are, Lord. Tired, God. So, Lord, renew us through the worship of your holy name. You deserve it, Lord. You deserve the worship of our life, of our time, of our talent, of our resources. You deserve it all, God. And we long to give it to you. But oh Lord, how we long for a time where there will be no more death and disease. No more depression. Of either kind. We long to see you. Because we long to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, today, as we come to you now, we ask you, receive our worship. Kiss your people on the cheek today, God. Oh, that we would know the steadfast love of God that was revealed to us through your Son. That all here may embrace him as my God and my Savior. Jesus' name, amen.